You know, for the people who are who are optimistic, I, um, because I, I tend to be a little bit pessimistic here, having watched this for so long, this problem building, like, what is the source of your optimism, really? Because if what was going on here was going on in any other country, I think you'd be calling it out. Um, but for some reason, we seem to think that we're immune to the laws of economics uh, that apply to everyone else, and I, I just don't think we are. Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Vern Adelstein. I'm joined today by Albert Liu. Albert, welcome back. Thank you very much. Albert, quick question for you here. So we've seen 5% interest rates. A lot of people said there's no way the economy will be able to survive that. Stocks will fall. Unemployment will rise. And yet we're looking at a, a pretty stable stock market and a pretty stable job market. What were most analysts missing? I heard uh, Stan Druckenmiller on CNBC like just two days ago. And he said, it looks like the bond market has priced in the new uh, interest rate environment, but the equity market hasn't. Hmm. And I think that just in general, if you look at bond investors versus stock investors, bond investors tend to be very pragmatic in the moment, right? Balance sheets, income statements, so forth. But uh, stock investors, they tend to like be more optimistic or at least looking into the future. And I think that's what it is. I think he nailed it. I think uh, the equity markets just haven't priced in the new reality. And, and as part of that question here, in the negative sense for equities, with 5.5% risk-free on Treasuries T-bills, most people at some point are going to say, why am I throwing more money in stocks when I could get pretty much a risk-free return at 5.5%? Yeah, I mean, it's happening now. Like walking around the floor, people talking to me, asking them uh, you know, what they're doing. A lot of them are saying that. They're taking the 5% on whatever, six months or one year, whatever, yeah. And, and now a, a question that arises from that is, why is gold doing so well? Most people would say gold has no yield, and monetary metals, we do pay yield, but most people say gold has no yield, it's a shiny pet rock, why would I buy that when I could get a CD or a money market account paying 5.5%? Are you surprised at how well gold is holding up here? I mean, it's impressive. For sure, if you look at you know over the last uh, tightening cycle, you would think that that would be bad for gold, and I guess relatively it has been. Maybe it would be up uh, more if if we weren't in this environment. But no, people don't generally, um, you know, uh, outside of say your product, they don't look for a yield in gold. They hold it for other reasons, and uh, I guess like earning the yield on gold is is kind of a new concept. So, yeah. Right, and I do think a lot of people say, well, I can earn 5% you know, on dollars right now. Now, 5% in gold, I do think is a little bit more attractive, right? Especially when you're looking 10 years down the line, what will a dollar be worth? But it's surprising that gold has held up so well, but silver kind of hanging in there as well. Do you think that there's a different narrative now for gold and silver that there was about, let's say, six months ago? Well, we're further down the road, and so, um, you know, this behavior is a setup for big moves in gold and silver at some point. Um, Rick Rule was on stage just yesterday and his, his uh, big speculation was silver. Hmm. He said that's where the big move is coming. If you're a speculator, um, you might want to think about that. But I think that the longer we go, the more pressure builds, the bigger the move, the more explosive move we're going to have later. 
And do you think that there's different angles here? So some people are saying central banks are buying gold. This might be helping support the price. Others are saying that, well, you know, um, if you're taking certain losses on your balance sheet, you might be selling gold. So there's kind of pressures in both directions. But silver is usually not an asset that central banks buy. And most people who are buying silver are usually buying in smaller amounts, right? It's not a capital asset that trades against other high value assets. So is maybe that why silver has this kind of different narrative to it now? I mean, that's a good question. It's not really something that I could tell you for sure. It's just, uh, you know, it tends to be more volatile. Um, it's the home of speculators. There's, uh, you know, um, I, I guess smaller, smaller flows of money make a bigger difference in silver. That's just the way it is. And now let's talk about smaller flows and another asset class, which is cryptocurrencies. About last year, there was a full craze. People were obsessed with Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, all going to the moon. We've seen them fall from all-time highs. Do you see that the cryptocurrency phase is kind of over and this kind of hard asset cycle is beginning, or do you think there's more juice in that crypto squeeze? I, okay, so <laughs> it's not my expertise at all. I don't actually trade or hold cryptos. Based on the enthusiasm I see from the people who do, though, I, I would say it's not over. Definitely not. And now let's talk about some other commodities, other metals. There's been a lot of talk about uranium. Lots of people saying, well, the only way we're doing a green energy revolution is through metals. And one of those important metals for nuclear energy will be uranium. Yeah. Do you see that that narrative is, is kind of playing out here in this environment? Absolutely is, yeah. Um, you know, Rick Rule called that years ago. And he didn't just call it, he called, he called a shot. He said how it would happen. And it seems to be playing out exactly the way he said. Um, I talked to him about it recently. He said, look, the easy money has been made on uranium, but the big money is still to come. So still, still early enough to get in, I think. And now let's talk a bit about this green energy revolution. There was a lot of talk last year saying we're going to have solar panels, we're moving away from fossil fuels, but all of that requires mining and it requires metals. Do you think that this kind of green energy push, is it on pause and the metals are also on pause? Or do you think we're just waiting for something to happen where those metals go into a different type of cycle? I think there was a lot of enthusiasm up front, and you're seeing that with the EV cars. There was a ton of enthusiasm, and you saw it uh, reflected in the, in the battery metals. You saw it reflected in the, the price of Tesla uh, shares. And now you're seeing it kind of come off, right? And you're seeing the car, um, the car companies, the major car companies, kind of back off some of their earlier claims. And so I, I don't think it's a reflection of necessarily a change in the future, but maybe a change in the timeline. And let's talk a little bit about inflation, which is that a lot of people said we are now in a structurally high inflation environment. Inflation is here to stay. And yet we're seeing inflation cool. We're getting lower prints. Now it's not gone by any means. Um, but do you think that inflation is kind of turned a corner and we're not going to see higher inflation prints from here on in? Or do you think that this kind of ugly inflation monster is going to rear its head again? Yeah, it's coming back. It's definitely coming back. And don't forget, we never got our purchasing power back. Right. We had these huge waves of inflation. Everyone's paying more. We're not getting that back. They're, they're not draining the money supply. The rate of change of prices maybe has slowed. Um, but if you look at the setup, the debt, what's going on with um, you know, BRICS and, and sort of this possibly a new currency regime coming on board, that's gonna that's gonna hurt the demand for the dollar in the long run. The way I like to look at it is, you know, we're holding up the dollar. All of us who use it are, yes. are holding up this inflation, this issuance. 
It's like you're, you're moving a giant piano, and each time someone lets go, everyone else has to lift harder. And so with bricks, um, we don't have a currency yet, but you see the beginning of a move away from dollar hegemony, and that's a bad sign for inflation. And so a question here is, a lot of people have said, well, BRICS might start trading, not in their own currencies, in the ruble or the, the yuan, but they'll settle trade in gold. Uh, do you see that kind of playing out here? And do you think that other currencies, the BRICS included, will start turning to gold and hard assets? Or do you think that there's actually going to be a combined currency between Brazil, Russia, China, etc.? Don't know, but the important thing for now is not what they're using, it's what they're not using. Mm. They're going away from the dollar, and if they're settling in their own currencies, that hurts dollar demand. And so the problem is, you know, there's only so many rupees um, that Russia will want, right, for the right. oil. And so that's when you get into this, you know, need for some kind of multilateral currency. And so they'll have to solve that problem somehow. I don't know, will it be gold? Maybe. I'm not sure. But what's important is this move of people going away from the dollar. I think that's what affects us the most. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Fed before we go to other central banks. A lot of people have been saying that they think there's actually a chance that Powell will be removed depending on how bad this you know, recession will be, if there is one. Do you see that there's this kind of political angle to Powell's appointment and a potential removal? Or do you think he's really here to stay? The position is political. Okay, so we, we know that um, Bernanke was acting on behalf of the administration just like everyone who came after him and everyone who came before him. So Powell is part of the administration, uh, if not officially, just you know, uh, by virtue of the job that he does. And so he'll be there as long as he's useful to the administration. If he loses the confidence of the markets, they'll have to, they'll have to replace him. And, and do you think that the people who surround Powell are actually in disagreement with him, waiting in the wings to take over? Or do you think that Powell is just kind of a, a dove among doves? Don't know, but as long as he's there, they'll defer to him. That's uh, there was a moment I remember on CNBC years ago when uh, an ex-governor from the Fed, I think it was Kevin Warsh, he was uh, he, he he was doing an interview with them, and then uh, they asked him what he thought about whoever it was at the time. Maybe it was Yellen, and uh, once he thought they were off camera, he says, "You know, it doesn't matter. Everyone defers to the to the chair. It doesn't matter." Uh, he said that when he thought that you know the camera was. Uh, the mics were not on. Uh, but I think that's what, the way it is. I think they, they, there's deference to him, and the rest of it is all theater. Do you think that this kind of MMT craze, this modern monetary theory craze, is over? We've seen you know, how not well it has gone in places like Japan with their horrible attempts at yield curve control. Their economy is obviously nothing to boast about. Do you think that the MMT craze is over, or do you think that, that there's really nothing that will stop this theory from taking hold? Well, even if it ends, they'll just bring us the same thing by a different name, right? It's inflation. So we call it MMT. Maybe they'll have another flavor, a new flavor for next year, the year after. It's the same thing. It's money printing. And it's coming. Okay, now let's talk quickly about, we've, we've talked about assets like gold, silver, uranium. We've also talked about the stock market. Let's talk quickly about bonds. So. Lots of other countries, like Japan, like Russia, they have their own bonds. I, I can't imagine people are going to want to own the bonds of someone like a Japan or an Argentina. Do you think that in a flight to safety, in a flight to quality, unlike the other assets that we've discussed, actually T-bills, treasury bonds, 
will actually be improving because of this flight to safety where people want bonds, but only from the United States? Surprisingly, yes. I mean, surprisingly, there's a demand. There's also a demand for, for yen, surprisingly. Uh, big liquid pools of, of, you know, to move liquidity um, are, are in demand by, by people who have you know, uh, large amounts of, uh, of cash. So yes, I, in, in a word, yeah. Now, I want to ask you a couple questions here. What are some assets you think that are underpriced or underappreciated that people just really aren't talking about but should be looking into? Well, you know, where I come from is the mining space. So, uh, you know, the, the miners have been complaining for a long time that their value has not been recognized. Right. That uh, when gold moves, the miners don't keep up. So that's the place that I'm looking at now. Um, we do, um, I have a, a platform that I started with Rick Rule called ruleclassroom.com. And uh, that's where we invite natural resource investors, retail investors to come and learn about how to uh, pick companies in the space because it's definitely a stock pickers uh, space. You need to know what you're doing and that's where we do it. Now let's talk about the other side of that coin which is things that are just obviously overvalued, things that you're just like, I cannot see how in 2023 we're still talking about this. Commercial real estate seems uh, very problematic. Um, you know, work for home is real. Mm. You got a, a lot of companies, um, especially the tech companies, trying to get people to come back to work, and they won't. Right. They just and, won't. and do you think that that kind of um, cycle of, of people staying at home, refusing to kind of move into the office, do you think that that just that kind of system systematic staying at home is is priced in now, where people are saying, when I buy a commercial real estate property, I, I have to understand that it's just a different property than it was two years ago? I don't know about that. Uh, but we've seen, you know, we've seen moves in that direction. Don't know if it's done yet. And of course, with mortgage rates, at least at 8%, do you see that the rest of the housing market is kind of facing that same scenario? Absolutely. Uh, it's going to hit the commercial real estate first, okay. just because of the nature uh, of the lending. But eventually, uh, even with people with their 20, 30 year fix, this is going to come through. I mean, people move for many reasons, and some of those reasons just cannot be, uh, cannot be averted, right? Uh, marriage, death, you know, uh, new, new family, household formation, those things. Those things will happen, but they'll happen at their own pace. Okay, a couple final questions here. Who is it that you're reading? What indicators are you watching? If I'm, if I'm Albert Liu, what is it that I read? What analysis do I follow to stay ahead with the markets? Sure. Um, so for, for equities, I think uh, you know Jeremy Grantham at GMO has done great work, published great stuff. Um, he you know sees a, a super bubble basically here, and he's he's looking for a reversion to the mean, a reversion to trend, which would be I don't know 40% down from where we are now at the S&P. Uh, so his work I think has been very influential. Um, he says you know uh, look outside the U.S., which is what I do. I think at, at areas that didn't really experience the same amount of uh, you know, valuation explosion that we did here. Uh, for the mining side, obviously, it's Rick Rule, my partner in Rule Classroom. Um, he he um, has introduced me to the concept of royalty and streaming companies. I think it's a great way for, for people, even if you're a little bit on the conservative side, I think these are great ways to dip your foot in the market. Okay, and final question for you here. We've got a lot of guests onto the Gold Exchange podcast, and we always ask them, what's a question we should be asking future guests of the Gold Exchange podcast? I think um, 
You know, for the people who are who are optimistic, I, um, because I, I tend to be a little bit pessimistic here, having watched this for so long, this problem building, like, what is the source of your optimism, really? Because if what was going on here was going on in any other country, I think you'd be calling it out. Um, but for some reason, we seem to think that we're immune to the laws of economics uh, that apply to everyone else, and I, I just don't think we are. Albert, where can people find more of you and more of your work? Sure, uh, ruralclassroom.com if you're interested in mining stocks and if you're interested in uh, other things, other um, uh, general investing, go to lumafinance.com. Albert, thank you so much for joining the Gold Exchange Podcast. Thanks, Ben. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the gold yield marketplace a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions, and are gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time.